When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 102. Today's episode is all about how to stop taking on other people's energies, especially as an empath. Now, if you're looking at your life and saying, I think I'm overwhelmed a little bit too much, I would seriously look into if you're an empath because you have to learn how not to be overwhelmed. And the reason that's such a revelation is that First of all, you could come to love yourself and your sensitivities. And second, you could develop self-care strategies to take care of yourself as an empath. It's all about awakening your mind, body, and soul, awakening as an empath. It's about being as alive as you possibly can in every possible way and learning how to flush out any negative stressful energy that might have come in your system. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. Hi, friends and wild minds. Question for you. Have you ever taken a personality test or gotten an astrology reading or even had a diagnosis where you're suddenly like, wow, finally something to explain all of those things I've been going through. That is exactly how I felt when I found out I am an empath. Empaths feel and absorb other people's emotions, so we're basically highly sensitive. And for those of you that get the Morning Mind Love emails, you might remember that I sent you a survey a while ago to see what your biggest challenges are in maintaining a positive mindset so that I could tailor episodes specifically for your needs. Well, one of the most common responses that you guys gave me were absorbing other people's negative energy. So I suspect that many of you might be at least somewhere on the empath spectrum as well. Well, I'm going to give you a little self-assessment. So every time you hear a sentence that you relate to, just make a mental tally in your head. And don't worry, if you lose count or something, I'm also linking to this in the show notes. So here we go. Have you been labeled overly sensitive, shy, or introverted? Do you get overwhelmed or anxious easily? Do arguments or yelling make you ill? Do you feel like you don't fit in? Are you drained in crowds and need alone time to revive yourself? Are you stimulated by noise, odors, or nonstop talkers? Do you have chemical sensitivities or can't tolerate scratchy clothes? Do you prefer taking your own car places so that you can leave early if you need to? Do you overeat to cope with stress? Are you afraid of becoming suffocated by intimate relationships? Do you startle easily? Do you react strongly to caffeine or medications? Do you have a low pain threshold? Do you tend to socially isolate? Do you absorb other people's stress, emotions, or symptoms? 
Are you overwhelmed by multitasking and prefer doing one thing at a time? Do you replenish yourself in nature? Do you need a long time to recuperate after being with difficult people or energy vampires? Do you feel better in small cities or the country rather than large cities? Do you prefer interacting with people one-on-one or small groups rather than big gatherings? Okay, so if you answered yes to around five, you're at least partially an empath. And if you answered yes to 15 or more, you're a full-blown empath. So why is this so important to identify? Well, because when you can name it, you can actually learn to work with your sensitivities instead of being held back by them. For most of my life, I just thought I had a lot of quirks. I thought I needed so much alone time because I'm an only child. I also thought I had really big emotions and could be extremely moody. Sometimes I even worried I was bipolar. I could walk into a room in one mood and walk out feeling totally uneasy. Or out of the blue, I would just feel mad or sad. And since I didn't really know where it was coming from, I'd attach the emotion to something or someone else because it had to come from somewhere, right? Well, since discovering that I'm an empath, I can actually view all of these sensitivities as a gift. It's almost like heightened intuition. You can sense when something's wrong or when people are lying or when people say they're fine when they're really upset. You can connect to the universe's guidance more deeply. And best of all, you can start to learn where your real emotions end and where other people's begin. So if you did relate to a few of those things on the assessment and you've identified that you're a partial empath or that you even just have trouble not taking on the bad vibes of other people, this episode will be highly valuable for you as well. Today we're talking to Dr. Judith Orloff. This is another guest that I've been trying to get on for a while and the day has finally arrived. I read her book, The Empath's Survival Guide, a while back and it was like reading a manual for myself. It just felt liberating. So much so that I made my husband read it too. So if you suspect that you're an empath, I highly recommend the read. Well, now Dr. Judith is coming out with her next book, Thriving as an Empath, 365 Days of Self-Care for Sensitive People. So three key things we will learn are how to stop absorbing other people's stress and negative energy, how to create healthy boundaries in your relationships, and empath protection strategies, including a bunch of journaling prompts to start to connect with your empathic gifts. Real quick, have you signed up for the morning mind love yet? Sometimes waking up on the right side of the bed can be a little difficult. The morning mind love delivers short messages to your inbox with a thought or a tip to start each day on a positive note. I get messages from people every single day about how the morning mind love is their favorite way to start the day or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a really cool booklet of power lists to help you gain clarity and live with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Dr. Judith Orloff to the show. Thank you. So you're basically the go-to resource for empaths. But I'm curious, how did you discover that you were an empath? I'm an empath. I'm also a psychiatrist. So I blend both my 
empathic, intuitive abilities into my scientific background. So I just want to say right off that for everyone listening, it's possible to integrate both. You're not either just an empath or just somebody who is intellectually oriented. You can integrate it. And that's what I've learned. And that's what I try and model. But I first learned that I was an empath as a child. I couldn't go into crowded places without feeling exhausted or upset or depressed or anxious. And I didn't realize that I was simply picking up the energy of all the people in the shopping mall and it was just too much for me. I didn't have the normal filters that people have because empaths don't really have them. We're really open. We don't have the same filters so we feel everything. It's a very unique and special type of person that if you are one, you really need to learn that you are one and learn self-care techniques to protect yourself and to practice self-care. Yeah, I can relate to really needing to know that you are one because honestly, I just thought I had all of these quirks that I would try to explain in different ways. Like, oh, maybe it's because I'm an only child. I need a lot of alone time or maybe I'm just hyper emotional. And when I read your last book about surviving it as an empath, my mind was blown and it just felt like a guidebook for me. So it was definitely life-changing to know that there were tools to deal with that. Yes, there are tools. But the first step is you have to know if you're an empath. And there's a 20-question self-assessment test. And there are questions such as, have I been labeled as, quote, overly sensitive all my life? in a derogatory way, because people usually put sensitive people down, which is such a travesty. Do I need alone time to replenish myself? So important for empaths. Do I prefer one-to-one contacts or small groups to large group meetings? Now, that's very typical. Do I take on other people's emotions or even physical symptoms? That's very typical. Do I love nature? Empaths often love nature. Or do you replenish yourself in water, you know, baths, hot springs, showers? Water is a way of cleansing negative energy. And do I prefer going out in nature and going off the grid and just replenishing myself by getting away from people? But you can have an extroverted empath and an introverted empath. So if you're listening and thinking, well, I'm a little bit more extroverted than that, You can be an extroverted empath. I talk about that in the book. But the difference is after you go out and you socialize, you need to decompress and have some downtime afterwards so that you don't go on sensory overload. That's a key theme that I talk about in Thriving as an Empath for self-care techniques to prevent sensory overload. And that's so important. If you're an empath, sensory overload is the worst thing. You don't want to get to that place. It's very, very painful. And so you want to listen to your body and notice cues about your energy when you're starting to get overwhelmed. And at those very first moments, practice some of the self-care techniques in this book. Maybe you need to set clear boundaries. That's one of the techniques. Maybe you need to do the three-minute heart meditation to calm yourself. Maybe you need to go out in nature and just get away from the computer and get away from people for a while to recenter yourself. So there are 365 self-care techniques in this book to help you not go on sensory overload and to enjoy your life. 
So for those people that might not fully understand that they are an empath yet, we've gone over some of the cues that you may be, but I'm curious, are people born as empaths or can their environment play a part in their level of sensitivities? Yes. Well, it's a great question. It can be a number of different things. Some babies are just born empathic. As a physician, I worked in OBGYN in my medical training, delivering babies. And some babies come out like little Buddhas. They're so sensitive and their hands go up with their palm feeling the world. And others come out more compact. They're not as open and as sensitive. They're more little adults already from the beginning. It's funny. So people have their different temperaments. So some people can be born empaths um, and the environment can really frame and shape if you're an empath. Sometimes it's associated with a neglectful environment or any kind of abuse you might have had or if you were raised by alcoholic or substance abusing parents or even parents who just didn't see you with a capital S you know, who put you down for being sensitive, who said, oh, dear, you just need to get a thicker skin or you need to change rather than saying, wow, you're amazing. You're such a sensitive child. I'm going to help you with this, live in the world with this and be strong. How many parents do that? You know, hopefully more and more. But, you know, if you've had a difficult childhood and so many people have, you have to kind of build up your stores of strength and empowerment through the self-care techniques. And one big thing is not beating yourself up in your own mind. I know as a psychiatrist how much people beat themselves up all the time, and especially empaths. And so if you beat yourself up a little bit less each day, that's really a lot of progress. So I'm a big believer in baby steps for empaths. Baby steps, little steps in practicing self-care more and more, loving yourself more and more. And Beating your gifts, which are many, intuition, spirituality, depth, connection, wonderful partners, wonderful friends, connection to nature, love of the earth, unselfish hearts, all kinds of giving, compassionate. Empaths are incredible, but they have to learn how to deal with the downside of the gift, which is absorbing the world or other people's emotions or physical symptoms or stress. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. 
He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. One thing that I have noticed throughout my life, especially before I started to realize that I was an empath, is that I was naturally drawn to either needy people or narcissistic people or people that were draining of my energy. And it was like I needed to fix them in order for me not to feel uncomfortable, which I realize now is almost a selfish reason to want to help somebody. Why is it that empaths tend to be so drawn towards those people that are going to just suck us of our energy? Yeah, well, there's a section in the book on the toxic attraction between empaths and narcissists. So empaths who are giving and loving and compassionate and give you the benefit of the doubt. And the narcissist is me, me, me. I'm self-absorbed. And you have to do things my way. Otherwise, you all become cold, withholding, and punishing. And the empath is, oh, no, you had a wounded childhood. I'll help heal you. And, you know, it will never work. And I think you probably learned that, that trying to fix people will never work. And narcissists can't be fixed because they never realize they're the problem. So that's a big problem, that they have empathy deficient disorder. And there's a section in the book on, as a self-care technique, how to deal with narcissists. As that's part of your self-care is not going openly into a narcissistic relationship, you know, out with your eyes open. It's just too dangerous. It's too damaging for empaths. You have to say no, no matter how seductive they may be. I mean, that's in romantic relationships. But if you're with your mother or your boss. There are other techniques in the book on on how to deal with those types of narcissists so you don't get drawn into some dark path that you can't get out of for 20 years. So what are some early signs that you may have met an energy vampire? Because for me, I caught it a little too late when my emotions and my whole self was already wrapped up in them. Yeah. Well, you have to notice right away what's happening to your energy level. Now, is my energy level going up or down around this person? And see that if this person makes you question yourself, or if they're critical, judgmental, controlling, narcissistic, you have to stay on alert for those kinds of things rather than get drawn in. So if you watch for that initially, and what I always suggest to my patients is to provoke a conflict early on in a relationship like a little conflict, you know, say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't go to that event with you because I'm busy. So you're not doing everything their way. And see how they respond. As a full narcissist would not say, oh, I understand. The narcissist would have some pushback on that. That isn't very pleasant. (laughs) So I know that for me, it's always been helpful to take some of these almost spiritual concepts, because the idea of being an empath does really deal with the subtle energy body. But I love to ground it into some real world science. And you had mentioned in the book I read, your earlier book about the survival guide, some of these 
different scientific concepts that might explain being an empath, like mirror neurons and emotional contagion. Can you go into that a little bit for those that might be kind of skeptical about the idea of being an empath? Yeah, there's a self-care technique, which is activate your mirror neuron system. So you can actively go in and work with your mirror neurons, which are the compassion neurons in the brain. They're the neurons that allow you to feel for other people and allow you to love. But the thinking is that the mirror neurons may be hyperactive in empaths, meaning they're working overtime. So you're compassionate with everything and the little ant on the ground and the the homeless and everybody who's suffering, you're compassionate with. And so the mirror neurons are hyperactive, whereas in a narcissist or sociopath or psychopath, they're either hypoactive or non-functioning. So they don't have the same compassion neurological wiring that regular people with regular empathy have and empaths who are high up on the empathic spectrum have. So why is it so important for people to really understand that they're an empath? Like, If people are walking around with sensory overload and all of these things, what are some of the dangers that might happen or basically the downward spirals that could happen if you don't know how to deal with your empathic nature? Well, so many patients come to me who are empaths and they don't know they're empaths, who are burnt out, who are exhausted, who have fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, depression, tiredness, anxiety, overwhelm, and they don't know what to do with it. And the great thing if you're an empath is that if you take that 20-question self-assessment test in the front of the book, you can determine if you're an empath. And the reason that's such a revelation is that, first of all, you could come to love yourself and your sensitivities. And second, you could develop self-care strategies to take care of yourself as an empath that are quite specific for sensory overload, learning how to set clear boundaries, learning how not to overhelp, learning that it's not your job to take on the pain of the world. So there are all kinds of basic Empath 101 self-care techniques. And so it's very important to learn that so that you can take care of yourself. And also, you know, the whole phenomena of emotional contagion that you mentioned, what that is, is research is documented. If you're in an office environment, let's say, and somebody has a negative attitude, if they're afraid, if someone comes in and announces, oh my God, I'm afraid we're all going to lose our jobs. That wave of fear will go through that office environment as a contagion and everyone will be a fearful mess as opposed to someone comes in and says, wow, we're going to have such a great successful day as a team. And then all that positive energy gets spread to the people. And so empaths in particular are sensitive to emotional contagion. They can pick it up the second it comes rolling down the group. So it's very important for empaths to center themselves and knowing that that's possible, that emotions have the power to change your physiology. And in a group environment, just to be aware of that so you can practice the self-care techniques and thriving as an empath immediately. You don't want to let any time pass. You notice, oh, my God, somebody just put out a very negative thought form, and I have to center myself. Instead of just feeling miserable and tired and not knowing what hit you, you have to identify what's happening and take action steps to protect and center yourself. That's called empath empowerment. 
when you learn how to do these kinds of techniques that I use in my life every day as an empath, you start to feel empowered. You don't feel, oh my God, I don't want to go out because it's just too much. You feel, okay, I know how to handle things and I'm prepared for what I'm going to encounter. That's a very different stance than being an empath is just lambasted by all kinds of stress in the world. Yeah, what I have noticed is, well, my husband and I both had to notice this because he'd come home and he might be stressed out about something. And he started to be worried to share it with me because I would immediately take that on. And so that was before I had any sort of protection strategies. But still, it's something that I struggle with sometimes where if his emotions are too heavy, it's hard for me not to take it on. But what I struggle with is that I want to be there for him. I want to be a good friend to my friends. I want to be able to listen to their stories without becoming overwhelmed by their emotions. So would you be willing to share maybe a strategy that's from your book that could help us still be there for somebody in need, but not automatically take on those emotions as our own? Right. That's a great question. There's a self-care technique on February 21st. So this is a day that time goes according to the days of the year. And that's called release your partner's stress. And so, as you said, invariably, when your partner is stressed or in a bad mood, you might pick it up. Your beloved got put over the edge for some reason. You might absorb that stress or feel depleted too. At these points, you have to train yourself to recognize what's happening. Don't panic and simply notice the person I love is under stress and I need to center myself. Draw a boundary. Tell yourself, this is him or her, not me. The fixer in you might want to jump in to solve the problem whether or not help is requested, but you have to stop yourself. The impulse makes you work too hard and it will drain you. And so what you need to do, instead of listening to your partner right away, go into a private area, even your car where you can be alone and slowly inhale and exhale to calm yourself. And with each breath, feel stress dissipate as you visualize it floating into the sky. And you could also imagine a shield of white light surrounding you that repels any tension or negativity. And then from this centered place, you go back and you listen to your partner. So you take this step of self-care before he or she starts getting into what, you know, is bothering them. So you come from a more shielded place as you're listening. And you can also limit the time you listen. You don't have to listen for three hours. You could limit the time to maybe 10 minutes, and that's helpful. Yeah, I definitely think that having those communication lines and those boundaries drawn in general in relationships, because so often we come and we just dump what we're feeling on our partner. But to have that clear connection with each other that, hey, I am an empath and I might have to do things a little bit differently than your past relationships can be really helpful. I started reading your book, your last book, The Survival Guide, and it was such a mind-blowing <laughs> moment for me that I made my husband read it too. And he's like, oh my gosh, all these weird things that I thought were quirks about you actually all fit into this umbrella of being an empath. So to go through a book like the 365 Days of Self-Care together could be also really bonding and help most relationships because I'm wondering, are you just an empath or not an empath? Or can you be 
sort of on the spectrum of being an empath. Like maybe you're sort of sensitive, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. When people take the 20 question self-assessment test in the book, I've divided up into slightly an empath, a moderate empath or full fledged empath. So it just depends. Some people only have a few traits. Some people have all 20 questions. Yes, 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 yes. So it depends. But even if you only have a couple of traits as an empath, you really need to honor your own energy in different ways because you don't want to be drained. You don't want to be overwrought. You don't want to be overwhelmed a lot of the time. You know, if you're looking at your life and saying, oh, I think I'm overwhelmed a little bit too much, I would seriously look into if you're an empath because you have to learn how not to be overwhelmed all right, or catch it early. And when you work with the thriving as an empath with your spouse or partner, this can be an amazing tool for both of you to practice. Even if your husband is not an empath, he can still practice the techniques himself. And plus, he'll know how to help you. I'm really big on educating partners and family members on how to honor an empath's needs. Then it makes a big difference. And when you have a loving couple like you and your husband, and you're both willing to read the self-care techniques and practice with each other and experiment in life how to love each other more, oh, only good things can happen. You only go deeper and love each other more. And there's mutual respect because you see him helping you and wanting to love you, you know, in the best way. I mean, what's better than that? So I know that I am blessed to have a husband who does show up for me and listens to my needs and is willing to read a book about being an empath, even though he's not one. But yeah. some people I know, people have reached out to me, listeners especially, that don't quite have as supportive of husbands, or maybe their first instinct is just to come at something a little bit more skeptically. And so I'm wondering, do you have any guidelines or tips for approaching your partner and discussing some of these boundaries that you might have as an empath? Yeah, so you need to approach them with love and excitement, and you have to make them your champion. You have to say, honey, I've just discovered this amazing thing about myself that I wanted to share with you. And how great that you could support me in these particular ways, or I need your help. You make them part of the process, as opposed to, I can't believe for 10 years we've been married and you've never noticed this about me, you know. <laughs> no, that's how some people feel, because they just can't believe that it's gone on so long, not being noticed that you're an empath. And that's just how it is. Don't hold it against your partner. And if they're skeptical, that's fine. I've worked with so many couples where one of the partners are skeptical. And that's fine because they're not used to it. You're educating them. You want to just love them and include them and make them your helper person. You know, to say, oh, honey, it would mean so much to me. I'm going to take 10 minutes of meditation time. You are my champion. I love you that you can support me in this way. So you make them feel good about supporting you and you make them your champion for self-care. And then once they get used to the idea of what's happening, then you could kind of include them a little bit more in things. Oh, maybe we can sit and just take a walk together in the park and just be silent instead of talking. Maybe we can go somewhere and replenish ourselves, you know, go to a spa or something. You can begin to shift 
the environment of your relationship slowly, and I mean slowly is important. You want to just hit the person over the head with everything. You want to ease them into the idea of how being an empath is a beautiful thing for you and how you need their help. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash mindlove. When I learn more new information, I tend to categorize it all. I get so excited. I'll read the whole book in a day. And then I want to come in and just be like, well, this is what I need. I need this, this, and this. Everything revolves around <laughs> me now. And right. that is not the best way to do it. But I can yeah. see the desire because it is exciting when you learn something like that about yourself. It's like taking the ultimate personality test. It is. It's totally exciting. But what you don't want to do is make it a weapon against your partner who wasn't able to see that in you until now. 
Most people won't. They won't be able to, and that's fine. But the great thing is when you realize about yourself, then you could begin to share it in a loving way and not in a woo-woo way. Because let's say, you know, you're married to a corporate attorney or an engineer or something. You know, they think in very linear terms. So you've got to kind of express it according to what they can hear. And there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean you're not being authentic, but you just want to just say empathy is a great thing and I want to develop my empathy. You know, so I think that you just have to know who you're dealing with and not just dump everything you're so excited about onto somebody who has no understanding of it whatsoever. Yeah. And that's such a great tip in any walk of life. Meet people where they are because they'll actually be able to hear what you're saying. And I remember there was a moment for me after sharing some of this information with my husband and he came home and he was extra stressed about something. And I was like, what is it? And I kind of immediately got guarded because I was like, I'm not even sure I'm ready to ask this right now. I'm already a little bit on edge. And he's like, well, I don't think I should share it with you since we now know that you're going to hold on to it for four years and kind of joked about it. But I met him back and I was just like, I kind of laughed and then I kind of felt discouraged for a second because I thought, well, I don't want to not be there to share some of these life experiences with my partner. Like he deserves somebody who he can talk to. And so I sat there for a second and I was just like, you know, discovering this about myself I'm in this moment right now where it might be harder for me, but now I'm just at the point where I can learn the tools to be able to deal with it so that I can show up better as a partner and I can be there for you instead of automatically spiraling some of these issues into my own. And hearing that for him, I think I could see the tension melt. Like, okay, this is something that we'll be able to work with together. So I think that's important too. Absolutely. It's important. It's so important. And, you know, there's a difference also between educating somebody and dumping on them. You know, there's a difference between venting and dumping. Dumping is not something you want to do. Dumping is just, I feel so angry. And this, these are the 20 reasons that I'm angry at you. That's not going to work. But venting is when you can pick one issue at a time. You can make an appointment to talk about it. You say to your partner, is now a good time? I have an issue I'd like to raise. You know, so you don't hijack them. And they say, okay, now's a good time. Or maybe no, maybe tomorrow morning. And then you go, okay. And then you talk about the one issue that you need to bring up with them. And that's venting. Dumping is just not healthy. And it's overwhelming for you or anybody else. And so you have to learn to vent, not dump. That is a good tip. And I honestly think that that is a good tip for any relationship, regardless of if you're an empath, because we are all emotional beings on some point. And well, I guess I'm also saying this from the point of view of an empath. And I'm like, every time that's happened to me, I feel emotional and overwhelmed. So that makes sense. I know that as an empath or an even a highly sensitive person, we tend to become kind of the martyr in a relationship. So how do we start to practice healthy boundaries? Right. There's a section on one of these dates and thriving as an empath on I am not a martyr and surrendering your martyr complex. As many empaths have a martyr complex where they feel if they martyr their energy, they're compassionate and they're giving. And that dates back to early belief systems that you have to recondition yourself that you can be loving and giving without being a martyr. 
you see, and you have to ask yourself, where did that belief come from? That I need to martyr my own energy to help everyone else but me. You see, that's not going to make you an empowered empath. And so by not martyring yourself, you can learn when to give and when not to give. And that's key for empaths because they just give endlessly and then wonder why they're so exhausted or sick or running from doctor to doctor. You give with discernment. And if you can't give, you know, there are times when people come up to me and tell me their life story. Lots of times. And that's true of empaths where we wear an invisible sign saying, I can help you. And other people see it. So I have people coming up to me all the time wanting to start up like that. And so I have to stop them. I could be at an airport minding my own business and someone sits next to me and starts up a conversation and all of a sudden starts rolling into all their problems. And so I have to say, this is my time to be quiet. I'm so sorry. I really don't feel like talking. And I say it with love and I say it with consideration, but I stop people. When people are, you know, they're about to start up on a very long thing and you're not up for it. Just depends on the person. Of course, if it's a good friend and they're going through a crisis, you want to be there for them. But being an empath, people will come up to you at various places and start up and you have the right to say no to it. As I'm very discerning about my helping. I help my patients. I'll help my friends and my partner. And I'll say no to them, too, at times when I can't help, if I'm too tired or exhausted or it's not in me at that point. And, you know, after workshops, sometimes, you know, a lot of people come up to me and I'm, I have to put a limit on it. I can't stay there for three hours afterwards talking because I'm tired. And I tell them, I'm so sorry, I can't stay any longer because I feel tired right now. So learning how to speak up like that is really, really important. So you don't martyr your energy. That's what I've seen with a lot of empaths is that they martyr their energy. Then they never want to see people again. They go into some cabin in the Colorado mountains, never to be seen again because they've been so overwhelmed. You don't want to be that way. If you are in healthcare, you're in the service professions, if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, you want to be there for your people. You want to feel good. But in order to do that, you have to learn how not to martyr your energy and give sometimes and be okay with not giving sometimes. That's a big step for an empath. Yeah, it's almost like just actually being able to prioritize who you're there for. And if you're there for absolutely everyone, then maybe you're not going to be able to have enough energy to be there for your daughter or your mother or somebody that you really do want to be there for. So that's such an important distinction because I think, especially as women, we tend to just want to give to everyone and and then we're not there showing up for ourselves. So we can't really show up for people in the way that we want. So it's that self-care aspect that's so important. But I know now we're living in such a stressful time. I mean, even just opening our web browser to the news or like (laughs) opening the newspaper sounded kind of archaic at this point, but it can be really overwhelming. So what are some of the tips to not take on the stresses of the world, especially in a time like this? I always recommend to my patients to take news fasts, to not just stay glued to cable news or NPR or any kind of news outlet, because it's too overwhelming and it's so sensationalized and fear-based that you don't want to spend too much time with it. And there's so much to say for just holding 
good, loving energy for the world in your meditation, you know, where you can just send the world a prayer. That's so much more helpful than getting upset about what's happening in the news. You sit in your meditation, you get quiet, and you just send everyone, all suffering people or all confused people, all people who have lost their way into ego or self-hatred or over-control, just send them positive love or more of an awakening for them. And so all these people are doing all these things you know, in the news because they're not happy and they don't really have insight into human nature and how to improve themselves. That's basically it. And so if you want to send them a little positive energy, you that goes a, a long way. So you hold, the, the secret as an empath is to learn how to hold the energy for someone without getting involved with them. At times, you will get involved with certain people. But a lot of times, and certainly as a psychiatrist, I hold the energy for my clients. I sit there with my heart open, making a cocoon of positive energy and love and a space where they can feel safe to have insights and get into their own healing. We all can do that for the world. We all can do that for our families. There are times where you just want to hold the space. And that's one of the self-care tools for empaths. You know, I remember back in the earlier days of, I guess I could call it my awakening, so many of the activities that I've learned that really do shift your entire mindset around something or your whole energy has to do with visualization. And I just remember learning about that and thinking, well, that sounds way too simple to be effective. But every time that I actually dive into it and really give it my all, it makes a huge difference. So why is it that visualizations are so simple but still so effective? Because we can use our mind to create various protections for ourselves. And we have the capacity to do that. And visualizations will help to protect us, will help to release fear. It will help us create a reality that's a lot more positive than where our lowest selves want to go, which is into fear, worry, discontent, criticism, judgment. And so if we visualize a positive future, that will do more for us than catastrophizing about the future. Now, at the end of Thriving as an Empath, I have a wonderful affirmation for people to use, and it is all is well and getting better in every dimension. And this is the word in the Buddhist tradition, haula, means all is well and getting better. And you can use that mantra to create a positive mind space for yourself. And so all is well and getting better in every dimension, you know, as opposed to focusing on the fear. You need to be positive, even in the face of all this that's going on in the world. You need to hold that space, you know, for yourself, to free your own mind, and to free the world. And you have more of a capacity to do that than you think. Now, I'm a big believer in the person meditating alone at their altar space, the power of it to change things. I think that is enormously powerful. And so I hope you can know that, too. I hope everyone listening here can know when you change yourself, when you practice some of the self-care tools in the book and what we've been talking about, you can shift yourself and that realigns the world. You have much more power on a subtle energy level than you think. 
And I hope that makes you happy. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's so important because we are mostly energy. That's what most of this is. We're 99.999% energy. Where we direct our focus is where our energy goes. And where our energy goes is what expands. And so setting an intention is basically directing our energy towards one specific outcome. And a visualization is taking that to an entirely new level because you're not just setting the intention, you're making clear everything around it. You're visualizing what that looks like. So you're seeing it in your mind's eye, which is basically the clearest intention that you can get. So we have a choice. We can either direct that towards fear and that fear will blow up and become all consuming in our lives, or we can get clear on a better outcome. The difficulty is the fear is floating out there. There are plenty of people around you that are holding on to that fear. So that might be the first thing that you see. So getting clear on a more positive outcome that you actually desire might take a little bit more work. That might have to be from your mind and your imagination and your desires. And for me, one of the best ways to do this in a very grounded way is journaling, because otherwise it just floats in one ear and out the other, and you forget some of the things that you've already created. And I know that journaling is one of the tools that you recommend most highly. You've even created a companion Empaths Empowerment Journal. But I'm curious, from your point of view, why is journaling such an important emotional release for empaths? Well, the, the Empaths Empowerment Journal, I had so much fun creating. It's a fun journal. It's not a heavy thing. It's a fun, lively, creative journal for you to come into your best empath self. In the journal, I have questions you can ask yourself and exercises to write and free open pages that are actually coordinated with thriving as an empath. Whereas if you read a topic such as setting boundaries and thriving as an empath, then you can go to the journal and journal about it, what the pros are, what the difficult parts are, so that you could get clarity about some of these coping strategies and get to know yourself as an empath more. And plus, you can just have emotional release too. I mean, sometimes I know when I journal, I just start crying or I just start opening up in ways that wouldn't be there normally, that the writing process about journaling about my needs and desires and fears with regard to being an empath in this particular journal is just so liberating. You don't want to hold them in. You want to get them out, out, out. You want to release them. And journaling can help you. And it can also help you envision possibilities. Let's say you're stuck and there are obstacles and help you envision how to kind of conquer those obstacles and not just get stuck behind them because obstacles are all a figment of your imagination. I mean, sometimes they'll be in front of you. You just have to figure out a way around them. That's the spiritual challenge is how do you deal with an obstacle? One of the challenges for all humans, but not just to say, oh my God, my life is over. I can't get around this obstacle. No, that is not how it works. It's, it appears like an obstacle and you need to find a way to circumvent it. So I love to provide listeners with as many action items that they can do right after this episode as possible. So what journaling activity do you think is particularly helpful for empaths that they can get started on right away? Oh, yeah. There's so many questions that I ask you to write about what energy vampires are in your life and how to deal with them in a more effective way. What signs are you having as an empath that are serving you? What can 
I do in my life to hold the energy for someone rather than overgiving? How can I set boundaries? No, what can I say to my partner to share about being an empath? And you could write about all these things. You write about them in the journal. And then you write about your fears of what is my inner child saying about all this? Because now part of being an empowered empath, you have to reclaim that inner child who's stuck in some house somewhere in your upbringing. And there's a visualization on going back to the house and finding him or her and saying, I'm so sorry you were hurt. I couldn't protect you then, but now I can. So you're coming home with me. And to make that child safe and part of your life now, which is so essential to have that integration. The journaling can help you with that. Oh, those are so powerful. I know for me, it's just so incredible when I do journal. It's like giving me a new perspective. There'll be things that I'm mulling around in my head for months. And the moment that I get it on paper, it's like it shifts the perspective and suddenly I can see things that I didn't before. So I can see how working with some of these empathic abilities or even while you're discovering some of these traits that are specific to empaths, it can be so helpful in just seeing the power that they hold. Because I know that being an empath is also really connected to intuition. Can you speak a little bit about that? Oh, yes. There's an entry in the Empath Empowerment Journal on five ways that you listen to your intuition. Because your intuition will tell you the right path to take. And empathy, to me, is a form of intuition. It's a deep connecting with connectivity to other people, the earth. And so you can write about what forms does my intuition come through in? For instance, gut feelings, images, body knowings, energy, dreams. So you're going to be writing these down and then giving examples of this. And the great thing about writing something down is you can return to it. As so often we do these things and forget. And so having it written down, the written word, you can go back and go, oh, okay, I remember. This is easy to forget. It's so easy to forget a lot of things about self-care when stress hits. So when stress hits, you can pull out your Empath Empowerment Journal, read it and go, okay, now I know what to do. Yeah, I actually create a lot of lists for self-care or for activities that lift me higher because it's hard to think of a high level activity when you're at a low level. And so to have those things concrete, it's so helpful. So I know lastly, there can be a difference between being a physical empath and being an emotional empath. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yes. An emotional empath is somebody who can pick up the emotions of others. For instance, if somebody is really compassionate and loving, you soak that up like a sponge and you can feel that positivity. Whereas if somebody is angry and resentful and controlling, you might take that on into your own body too. So you're a sponge for emotions, whereas physical empaths are actual sponges for physical symptoms. And so if you experience a lot of psychosomatic symptoms, doctors have no idea where it's coming from, you could be absorbing the physical symptoms of other people. Medical intuitives are good physical empaths where they can sense what's going on in other people physically and diagnose that, but you don't want to take on the physical pain of other people. That's not a good thing. 
And so using the self-care techniques, you can learn to shield and deflect it, breathe it out, get in water to wash it away. There are all kinds of strategies. If you notice that you've picked up somebody's stomach ache, let's say, how do you know that? You were feeling fine. You're talking to somebody. Suddenly you're nauseous. Then if you experiment and walk away from that person, you're not nauseous. Most likely it was them, you see. And so if you notice, you know, sometimes I pick up people's pain and it's not anything I enjoy doing, nor do I want it. And so I notice it immediately and I practice the self-care. I'll get in water. I'll meditate immediately. I'll wash my hands. If I'm in my office, I'll put water on my face. I'll breathe it out. So you have to mobilize all these body self-care techniques right away. And then you, you can get rid of it. You don't want to keep it. You know, know. it's not good to take it on. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know a lot of listeners are really interested in getting more in touch with their intuition. So working with your empathic abilities like this and grappling with some of the things that maybe people have been struggling with before they knew this, this can certainly help improve their intuition, right? Oh, yeah. It can ignite your intuition. When you listen to your empathy, you know, you're listening to your gut feelings. You're listening to your stomach. You're listening to your back. You're listening to your images that come through. Some people are visual. They have images that come through that to give them guidance or their dreams. You may be a dream empath, which I also write about. Maybe you get guidance in your dreams, you know, as I do, to guide your life. Maybe you can ask a question before you go to sleep at night to your dream and you can listen to your dream the next morning, write it in the journal and follow it. I do that all the time. So dream empaths are a particular kind of empath. And they're also animal empaths. Empaths who have a particular affinity for animals and creatures where they could commune with them and they love them and they rescue them and they love being with them and adore them. And it's a beautiful ability, really, if you're an animal empath. And then there are earth empaths, too. You could write about this in your journal. What type of empath are you? Do you feel the earth changes? You know, how do you feel during a thunderstorm? How do you feel during uh, a windstorm? You know, notice your sensual empathic connection to nature. It's all about awakening your mind, body, and soul, this awakening as an empath. It's about being as alive as you possibly can in every possible way and learning how to flush out any negative stressful energy that might have come in your system. Well, I will be sharing a link to not only your new book, but also your past book that was really helpful for me. And I know that you're doing some events going on a book tour. You're actually going to be down the street from my house at Mystic Journey in November. So I'm going to try to come meet you. But where oh, else... Yeah. yeah, I'll be in for a second at Mystic Journeys, the Crystal Gallery. It's in, on Lincoln. It's not the bookstore on Abbott Kinney. It's the Crystal Gallery with huge crystals that are amazing that are going to be there with me as I, as I speak. So that's November 2nd at 3 p.m. in Venice. And also October 22nd, I'll be at Romans in Pasadena. And I'll be in New York at the Open Center October 26th and 27th if you'd like to join me there. And I'll, I'll be at other places up and down the West Coast and in Changing Hands in Tempe in November, Arizona. Well, I, for one, am hoping to meet you at the Santa Monica event. And I know exactly where that is. And you are right. They do have the best crystals. Oh, they're so beautiful. 
So before we sign off, is there anything else that you want to direct listeners towards? Yeah, I have an Empath Survival Guide online course that are video lessons that I created. So you could learn from me in a video, nine lessons, and that's available on my website, drjudithorloff.com as well. All of the links mentioned in this episode are at mindlove.com slash 102. So I'll be linking to the empath self-assessment, all of Dr. Judith's books that we talked about, and also her upcoming events. Okay, so if you're one of the people at home that's listening to this episode and you're like, holy crap, I am a full-blown empath, or even a partial empath, remember that this news is exciting. This means that some of the things that you may have been overwhelmed by, you now can have the tools to start to protect and guard your natural energy instead of absorbing everything that's around you. Also, you now have the chance to connect with your intuitive gifts. And if your relationship is anything like mine, it might even bring you two closer together because you're kind of working on a common goal as one. And if you're listening to this and you realize this sounds exactly like somebody you know, please send this episode to them. Again, finding out you're an empath instead of an emotionally crazy person, like I kind of thought I was for a while, can be this insight that opens doors and really opens up your life. So be the bearer of good news for someone else. If you love Mind Love, please take a screenshot, tag me, Mind Love Melissa. Let me know if you are an empath. I'd love to connect with more empaths out there. And tag Mind Love Podcast. And as always, rate and review. It's been such a big month for Mind Love. We're on the top charts of health and fitness, top charts of education. Spotify curated a playlist that included Mind Love in it. So it's been such a great week. Thank you all of you who have supported, subscribed, reviewed, shared, all of those good things. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.